probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome back to the Thing Minute podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me again today is Alexander Morrison from GeekRex.com. And today we are talking about minute 59 of The Thing, which begins with uh, a slow pan across the group as they discuss uh, who could have gotten to the blood, and then ends a minute later with a child saying, Is that supposed to clear him? as they talk about uh you know who might have uh taken action so yeah we start the scene with uh the slow pan that we just started out with uh just barely in the last minute so you know we were talking yesterday about the um the kind of careful blocking and camera movement and everything that really adds to the claustrophobia and you know was was probably you know carpenter himself said it was one of the most difficult scenes in the movie to put together and i actually really love that pan and uh just how perfectly it times out with everything how it moves across you know we're kind of looking over i think it's mccready's mccready and and uh child's shoulders so we're seeing them in the foreground but in the background or you know the main focus is uh copper and then and then gary slowly as we move across and those are the two people who this scene really focuses on and, and puts puts all the suspicion on so gives a focus for all that paranoia that started to build up so yeah, I always thought that was just kind of a great, great shot that does sort of set, start to set things up. So yeah, the argument begins here, and it, I think it's it's pretty interesting. It's pretty carefully crafted um, in the script and how it kind of shifts blame back and forth between Copper and Gary. So you know, Copper says, "Well, uh, I guess I was the only one," and then Gary says, "Well, I was I was the only one that had the key, or I had the only key." So, uh, you know, they just sort of start pinning back and forth and they're immediately under suspicion by the rest of the group. And we get to see them sort of start to defend themselves. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of incredible to watch uh, this scene. You know, we talked uh, in the last episode about kind of the how quickly tensions are ramping up. And like this minute is a perfect encapsulation of that. Because Childs turns on three different people in this 60-second span. You know, like uh, Gary says something like, you know, well, I guess someone else could have gotten it. And Childs immediately shuts, nope, you have that. It is locked to your belt. We all fucking know it. (laughs) And then... (laughs) uh, I don't even remember, you know, I I can't remember what the incident is, but... Oh, no, it's... Clark moves a little closer to the, <laughs> and Childs lunges for him. Yep. And then uh, Copper, you know, says something, you know, they're like, oh, Copper developed the test. And Childs' immediate response is, oh, that doesn't mean anything. And so, you know, I mean, uh, if we're talking about kind of the ramping up of tensions, this is the perfect 60 seconds for that. Because uh, as you say, just like with the pivot, it starts with a slow, quiet pan. But uh, immediately after that, just the shit hits the fan. Like a uh, uh, child really, child really is the instigator. But I don't think the movie judges or blames him for that. I yeah. think that he is meant to be 
he is meant to be the most vocal, but they're all thinking this. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, he's, you know, later on, uh, you know, McCready says somebody else that's not so temperamental should be in charge talking about childs and, you know, you can definitely see him that way, but I think you're right that he is kind of the voice of the audience, you know, kind of the, the unruly theater patron watching the movie being like, come on, like he obviously did it. Like that's who Childs is in this scene. <laughs> yeah, definitely. He's, uh, he, Childs really is kind of the everyman here, uh, which, you know, I mean, McCready, McCready is too wily and too on top of things. McCready is the hero. But Childs, I think, is kind of who we're all met, who is supposed to be like vocalizing what we're thinking. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, so Childs kind of instigates it, but I do love the kind of balance back and forth between Gary and Copper and how even they start to kind of turn on each other a little bit. You know, Gary seems kind of, at first, he's kind of cautious about it and doesn't really want to doesn't really want to place any blame on Copper, but but kind of you know gets defensive and when uh, Copper's like, well, you know, I've, it's been a few days since I came in here. And and even says that, you know, I, I actually was thinking about it. Why he says, you know, Gary's had had reason to be in here on several occasions, which I'm, <laughs> I'm curious why what the, what those occasions were like. Does he have like is his ear medicine in the blood freezer or like, <laughs> you know, I'm not exactly sure what that would why why the uh, the captain or security officer or whatever would have reason to go into this medical room. But yeah, it's it's just very interesting. I love the way that it's, it's crafted. It's very natural, the way that the tensions kind of increase in that, you know, Childs definitely kind of adds uh, adds fuel to the fire, but just just Gary and Copper by themselves, when they find themselves immediately thrown into this situation where they have to defend themselves as a human being suddenly, you know, how quickly they can, they kind of end up turning on each other when, when, I think at first it seems like they're kind of close, at least a little bit. They they definitely have a, a relationship. So yeah, it's it's very interesting how quickly things heat up here. Yeah, and I think it's it's, it's good to point out that the way that the way that they both decide to defend themselves is by attacking the other, mm-hmm. which logically doesn't necessarily make much sense because they could both be, you know. But I think that it plays into the what will i think it sets up what will be the defining threat of the movie for probably the next like 15 20 minutes uh which is kind of like mob rule where everyone is you know in lieu of having an actual enemy everyone is trying to create one by saying you know it's not me they're you know like i know i'm human but who can i get to turn on so that they'll trust me and um, that is kind of a strategy that we, we first see both of them start to use here where they just immediately on a dime turn on one another. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's interesting that you say that, uh, you know, the, the main threat of the movie at this point for the next, you know, 10 or 15 minutes is kind of this the threat of mob rule. And it is interesting that I never really thought about it, but in a lot of ways, the way this scene is shot it kind of puts you in the shoes of Copper and Gary more than the the group and that you kind of, the, the fear on their faces and, and everything, you kind of feel for them. Like you're almost like, oh, well, geez, what if somebody accused me of this? And I, I there's no way I'd have to prove that I didn't do this. Like, you know, rather than sympathizing with, with the people attacking them, you almost sympathize with, uh, with those that are getting attacked, which is kind of interesting, because like you say, that that mob mob rule is the threat here, the threat of violence against you when you can't, there's no way to defend yourself. Yeah, you know, I, I think that it's easy 
to pick apart a movie. Like I, I bet those, you know, idiots, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I guess we shouldn't start a beef between your show and a more popular YouTube channel, but, uh, <laughs> um, uh, the the gentleman over at Cinema Sense, <laughs> I'm sure, uh, would have a field day with something like this, mm-hmm. and that's because they they're, they're bad at watching movies. <laughs> but I think it's also like this is something where it's very easy to look at and say logically, okay, we have an idea for what to do. We have a blood test. This blood was taken. What else can we do? And we eventually get to something thanks to McCready kind of having a sharp eye during the next thing attack. But here, what we see is that a lot of things go wrong because everyone is trying to save themselves at this point. What, what Blair did was sacrifice himself to save, uh, to save what he views as to save the planet. Mm Mm-hmm. And here we see kind of why he did that, because this group immediately turns on one another. They immediately prove that uh, if this if this gets out, then humanity as a group will not be able to do anything about it. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. This, this stands in kind of stark contrast to that where Blair is Blair's trying to do something that's completely selfless, where, you know, he's obviously putting himself in harm's way. Um, you know, for to sacrifice for the greater good, whereas these guys are, it's such a, it's a selfish, it's a fear and and selfishness that uh that kind of creates some creates a violence between them that that wasn't there literally thirty seconds ago, you know. So it's it's Blair was exactly right that he knew that they couldn't possibly reason their ways out of this just because of human nature that they couldn't, you know, there was no way for them to know who to trust anymore. Yeah, when you, when you're in a moment of crisis instinct takes over and the problem with that is your first instinct is not going to be how can i save humanity but how can i save myself right and what both of them are probably thinking there is look i know i'm right i know i'm human and because i know i'm human i know it is valuable that i stay alive i don't know how many of them are still human but i know some of them are and so both of them make the totally rational decision, it is more valuable that I stay alive than that uh, this continue peacefully. But it's it, it's the tragedy of the commons, right? Where everyone acting rationally according to their best interests makes a bad outcome. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And it's a, it's a scary thought. I mean, that's a very real world, you know, problem and fear. So it's... You know, that's one of the many reasons why I think this movie works so well and that it's a, you know, it's a monster movie with a bunch of gory, nasty, you know, creative uh, transformations. But at the heart of that, why those transformations are are so scary is because they're this kind of manifestation of something that's much more kind of grounded and, you know, scary in our everyday lives that, you know, if we were thrown into this sort of crisis that, you know, it's, it's not, not totally, uh, you know, impossible for something like that to happen. I mean, everybody gets put into moments of emergencies. You don't know how you're going to act and that, you know, you worry that this is the kind of thing that could happen, that you could immediately turn into a very different person than you'd like to think you are. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a good point where I'm sure none of these people thought that they were the kind of person who would turn on a friend to save themselves 
but it's totally rational to do so. Like, it is the correct thing for them to do for themselves in a lot of ways. But, yeah, it just it creates what we'll see is an escalating moment of paranoia and madness and all of that that, you know, ultimately doesn't serve anybody. Right. And, yeah, so as, as it does kind of escalate, before we get into the kind of fist fight that breaks out, we do get... Um, you know, Windows is in the background with his with his bandaged head from where when he got attacked by uh, Blair. It's the first time we've seen him since then, um, so I'm glad he's still alive. But um, he, uh, <laughs> I, I love that shot where he just says, "Great!" And then um, as the others continue to kind of argue, he just sort of starts to back away, and the camera kind of follows him a little bit. And you can almost forget about that. But then, obviously, you know, in the next minute when we start to see what's going on and what he's up to, it uh, you know, it kind of pays off. It's a, it's an interesting little you know, tease as to what's about to happen with him. Yeah, and I, I think that it's I think it's a moment where the first thought is, oh, Windows, you know, he's the thing. But in reality, it, it's just like everything else in this scene in this in this minute where someone is doing the rational, correct thing for themselves, right? Where he wants to protect himself. He wants to keep himself safe. He knows he's human. He wants to he wants to survive this, but by introducing, as we'll see, introducing a gun into the uh, <laughs> into the mob of angry people doesn't like calm things down. Um, Not generally. <laughs> yeah, that was something that I really loved in. Um, Oh, was it a uh, dawn of the planet of the apes or rise of the planet of the apes? The oh, second one? This is so funny because just a few weeks back on this show, I had this exact same conversation where we could not remember which one was which. And I think it's, it's backwards from whatever you think. So I think it's, uh, <laughs> I think it's rise and then dawn. It's rise and then dawn. I think, okay. but I could have yeah. that backwards. <laughs> that makes sense. No, no. Yeah. Dawn came out in 2014. And Rise came out, uh, I think, in 2012. Okay. So, but one of the things that I think that that did well was show how introducing a gun into a situation makes the person holding the gun feel more secure, but makes everybody else a thousand times more on edge. Right. And, you know, I think, I think that it's, it's an interesting thing to just keep in mind. Although I guess that's next, next minute. Uh, we all, we have a tendency to get ahead of ourselves. (laughs) It's easy to do. But yeah, no, uh, yeah. Following windows like that, that slow kind of, uh, movement that he makes is such a small movement, but I think that Carpenter does a good job of isolating him and, uh, making him a little bit calmer than, you know, Childs and Clark and kind of the almost, you know, imminent fist fight that's brewing. Right. And so uh, that makes his small movements stand out uh, even more, I think. Yeah. And I think it's just another bit of, um, you know, I think Carpenter's really careful about the pacing and the transitions in this movie, too. And that's that's like just setting up the next scene so that it doesn't feel like it kind of comes out of nowhere. It's like when they suddenly say, where's windows? It's like, Oh yeah, he was kind of backing away a minute ago. Like I forgot about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's just kind of a nice bit of, uh, you know, setup as well. I think. Computer. How likely is it that one of our guests may be infected with the intruder organism? 100%. Great. In that case, what are our chances of survival? Projection. If guests make it to other podcasts, all of iTunes will be infected within 27,000 hours. Yikes. 
Well, how long can we keep this up in the meantime? Projection. Without listener support, the generator will be destroyed in less than 24 hours and podcasting will be impossible. If only the radio wasn't down, we could reach the mainland and tell the listeners to go to thethingminute.com and use the donate button in the bottom right of the page to help out. Projection. If listeners go to thethingminute.com and use the donate button, chances of the podcast survival goes up 75%. Windows, keep trying. I did want to mention, I always kind of notice uh, the when, when we get that close-up of Copper's face, when he says, uh, you know, as soon as I'm done with it, I give the keys back right away. I always, for some reason, that line always sticks out to me. It seems very kind of, not stilted, but very kind of like unnatural for Copper. It's it's very kind of, uh, I don't know, It's not, I, would, I don't want to say wooden either, but it's very like kind of monotone and straightforward. It's, it's I don't know, it, it's it's a change in character for him. And I also... I don't know why, but before I started uh, this podcast and watching it this closely, this was always, I was always distracted in that moment because maybe this is the first time we get a real clo- uh, tight close up of his face, but seeing his nose ring, uh, when, I, when I used to watch this movie, I'd always be like, oh, w- weird. Why does this like old guy doctor have a nose ring? Like <laughs> it always kind of distracted me a little bit, but I, this is always the point in the movie where I noticed it for the first time, which I always think is kind of funny. <laughs> oh, like. Even watching it, you know, even watching this minute kind of just before we talked, I still couldn't quite tell if he had a nose ring or if it was just like a weird bit of light (laughs) because it's such a tiny nose ring and you never notice it at any other point. So it's it's a strange bit of characterization. But that that line reading to me, uh, because I agree, it's super weird. And I think that the way I ended up reading it is um, it's like when you're did you i don't know do you have siblings mm-hmm. okay i don't know about you like sometimes i would do something wrong and my parents would catch me and i would blame my siblings for it of course and it's never something like you don't go into it planning to you're, you know i wasn't a sociopath i wasn't saying like oh i'm gonna steal you know five dollars and then blame my sister but <laughs> you know what it is is just like you panic And you don't want to get in trouble. And so you say the first thing that comes to your mind. And even as you're saying it, like, you know, it's not true. You're just like, oh, my God, what am I saying? And that's how I read that is like him just being like, I always give it back. Never haven't. And you're just like, (laughs) I've seen how this base operates for the last, you know, hour. And you guys are not like a, you know, particularly tight ship here. (laughs) There's no way that you do that every time. But that's like the first thing that you would, you know, use to defend yourself is, you know, like protocol says, give it back. And I do that every time. Yep. Yeah. And then the way after he says that, like, you know, and he says it so fast and so kind of monotone, he says it and then he immediately turns and looks at Gary like, yeah, he had it. Like, (laughs) just throws the suspicion. So it's, you know, it adds to that whole, this perfect kind of back and forth that we get in this scene where, where the two of them slowly go from defending themselves to attacking the other one. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, it's, it's weird and it always stands out, but it, it definitely works in that interesting way. I, I also, I don't know, to me, it, it feels a little bit like, I've, I think I like your example better, but what I had written down is it almost feels like he's like, he's like in the witness box uh, in, co- in a courtroom or something. And he's trying to yeah. just spit it out, spit out his like rehearsed testimony as fast as he can. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, it's something that, almost certainly isn't true, but it, it, it's plausible enough that he, that, you know, he thinks he can just 
say it and then disappear. Yeah. Yeah, so this scene is is that one where where things really start to heat up and and really we get the first sense of them kind of you know violence ensuing where they kind of attack each other physically. So, yeah, I love that part. I, I have no idea what um, what Clark says when when he kind of joins in and he's pointing the finger. It sounds almost like I feel like I hear the word kill in there, but I don't know what he's saying. And um, it is just kind of that indiscriminate arguing that I, I kind of love that there's no specifics about it, that it's just sort of this violent sound of them kind of turning on each other immediately. And it's, it works so well. And the, what just, yeah, the editing from when he, when he says that and child's, you know, immediately like changes course from attacking mm-hmm. copper or, or Gary rather to, uh, to go, you know, beat the shit out of Clark. <laughs> yeah. Like, and multiple people do it. I think mm-hmm. everyone who was outside, as soon as Clark's temper heats up, everybody turns immediately and stops yep yeah so it is it it is uh you know i think this is one of those scenes that was probably probably you know like like we mentioned yesterday carpenter said it was one of the most difficult to direct because of the blocking and the space and everything but i I would bet also that it was something they rehearsed a lot to get this kind of this kind of timing and the 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 wary looks and everything it's just really really nicely crafted and, and and you know, very naturally progresses to this state. So it's very believable that they all jump to, to, um, to, you know, restraining Clark immediately when he just all really, all he does is point a finger and start to yell just like everybody else's. So yeah, it's, it's, I really like the scene. I never really thought about how, how important the scene is to the movie, but it is a perfect encapsulation of the, the kind of violent paranoia that, uh, that the rest of the movie is really about. And it's, and it's the trend that we're going to see from here on out, you know, mm-hmm. Someone accuses someone, that person passes it on, passes the rumor on, and everyone turns, even though Clark has no idea that any of this has happened. Like, right. Clark's reaction there is totally normal, right? But to the people who are keeping, like, a really close watch on him, they're like, oh, this is it. This is going down. And that's something we'll see later with McCready and, you know, once or twice else. But it kind of sets up the the like Salem witch trials like crucible esque thing mm-hmm. where as soon as you're accused like that's it like you're you're done the rest of the group will not trust you again and everything you do will be viewed through that lens right and and i think the other part of it too that's important about this scene is that now that the 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 blood test is not a possibility there i think part of the kind of conflict here and why the tensions get so high so quickly is because they're all kind of realizing that there is no way to defend yourself. There is no way to know at this point. Like, if we think you are, then you are. Like, you know, like you said, it's very much like the witch trials. Like, there's no way to say one way or the other whether the person is or isn't the thing. And I think the way that, you know, going back to the witch trials and going back to, you know, I mean, McCarthyism, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, was was a big thing, I think, with the original adaptation of the thing. Yeah. But going back to that kind of era, the best way, the best defense when there's no way of proving something, uh, when there's no way of proving an accusation, the best defense is to be the most gung-ho about hunting out other people who do it. And that's that's the dynamic we see here very naturally evolve is um, first with Gary and Cooper or Copper. And then slowly with the rest of the group, uh, uh, they quickly realize that, you know, I am, um, I have no way to defend myself except by, you know, except by making sure that everyone, you know, being the loudest voice in the room against the thing. 
Right. Yeah. And then, uh, um, I don't know. Have you ever played the, uh, played the game werewolf? Or... Yeah. Yeah. That's like, uh, <laughs> there's like mafia too. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've played that a few times. Yeah. This, um, this, this scene reminds me very much of the very first round in werewolf where, um, uh, for the, for listeners who haven't played it, the very, very basic idea is that, you know, you're, you're in a group of people and, uh, most of the people are villagers, but a couple people are werewolves. And um, every turn of the game, the werewolves pick somebody to kill. And then the next turn, uh, all the everybody in the group tries to vote on who they think is the werewolf to to kill. And so, you know, it's, you're trying to figure out who's who. It's a, it actually goes pretty well with this movie. But this this scene is very much like the first round where you have literally nothing to go on. There's no actual um, evidence as to why one person or another is the werewolf, but speaking out and accusing somebody is is probably the quickest way to take uh, take some of the heat off yourself. Uh, staying quiet is usually a, a very quick way to get yourself uh, get yourself killed in werewolf. <laughs> so I, I, I thought about that too in this scene. It definitely uh, parallels a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely like that kind of game. And uh, you know, I mean, it's it's something that we've seen happen throughout history. And uh, it's really hard to write something to it's really hard to boil down like a historical social critique into a single moment or a single scene. And it's even harder to do it elegantly, so elegantly that it fits flawlessly into the movie. But that's really what this is. You know, this this is looking, you know, at a very particular I mean, this came out, you know, in the 80s, which was it came out at the start of the 80s. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 82. before we really got hard into kind of Reaganism and kind of the, but I mean, this is Cold War Fuhrer. This is, you know, are you a, are you a commie? Are you, you know, and I think that this movie is one of the best at getting across kind of how easily uh, that mindset takes over and how deeply unhelpful it is once it does. Yeah. It's, it's pretty brilliant. And and yeah, like 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 we've been talking about the the way that it really naturally progresses. It's not, you know, it's not a movie where, you know, the creature is obviously the impetus for why they start not trust to uh, not trust each other. But it's not like, you know, there's somebody holding a gun to their head and, and forcing them to do this. It's all very naturally progresses from their own paranoia and selfishness and and fear. So it is. It's. You know, I love that about it—that the monster is not really the the threat in the end, and it's not, um, you know, the, the allegory, the ideas and themes are much more important, and that's actually what makes this movie scary, not the not the gory special effects to me. I did uh, for the last thing I had to mention for this minute because I have to because I'm a uh, I'm a sound guy is. Um, there's a boom mic in this shot. It's one of those uh, one of those IMDb goof things, but I, I happen to notice it watching it. Uh, and as a as a boom operator myself, it uh, it hurts me a little bit to see that because I I know that that guy probably got uh, you know every time he goes back and sees this movie, he's like, ah, oh, god damn it, I can't yeah. believe I can't believe I did that. But I love I kind of love that it's still in here. You know, this is probably the eighth release of this movie on you know from VHS to DVD to Blu-ray and. The, the fact that they ha- they haven't painted it out or, or framed it out or anything, I uh, I kind of love that. I love that it's left alone. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, a lot of times these directors get reputations for, you know, perfection and all that. And uh, I can't remember which of them it was who they were like, you know, like, 
you know, you have such a you know reputation as a perfectionist, but you know, I mean, there are definitely flaws. Like, how does that make you feel? And the thing that he said that always struck stuck with me, even though I can't remember who said it, <laughs> is, um, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not looking for the best like the shot with the fewest errors. I'm looking for the shot with the best performance, and I don't care if you know, someone's sleeve is rolled up differently in this take than it was in the previous take. uh, And that creates like a moment of that. I'm looking for what the best possible take of these characters talking is, or of this conversation or this scene. And that's the one that's getting in regardless of continuity. Yeah, no, I I think there's, there's a lot to be said for that. And that that makes me think of um, maybe one of the most notable kind of continuity goofs in, in history that, that, you know, it's one of those ones that once you know about it, you can't unsee it, is uh, the whole thing about in Jurassic Park with the, the T-Rex attack, which is, you know, such a brilliant scene. It's one of my all-time favorite scenes in, in a movie that, you know, as soon as they, they cut back and you see the wider of it, that suddenly there's like a 50-foot cliff on the other side of that wall that wasn't there before. <laughs> it's it's one of those things that, like, sure, if you're looking at it and, and watching for that kind of stuff, yeah, it might bother you, but it doesn't matter. Like it, it, it serves the purpose of the story and the characters and the, the movie perfectly. So who cares? Um, you know, it's, it's just one of those, like, you know, if the goof doesn't, if it's not incredibly distracting, then, you know, it doesn't matter. It's like, you could have had a scene where someone was like, Oh, well, you know, like that was like 50 feet to the left and there's a sharp decline. And but it's like, no, no, that's dumb. Don't do that. That doesn't belong in the movie. What belongs in the movie is the tension that stems from that drop and the tension that stems from the drop not being there. Right. You know, plot holes where character doesn't make sense, that really matters because that's the story. That's the heart of who these people are. But like little continuity errors, I don't, those just don't matter that much. They they really don't. They, you know, unless you're the kind of person who watches a movie and pauses every, unless you're the kind of person who watches a movie minute by minute, <laughs> he watches each minute over and over again, you aren't going to notice or care about any of that. Yeah, I mean, that, that person would have to be insane to do that. <laughs> yeah, really quite thick. <laughs> Yeah, and no, uh, and you know, it's one of those things too where to me it goes along with my my uh my whole approach to this where I, I was kind of worried that looking at the movie this closely would would make me hate it and make me kind of see see all the problems with it that I didn't before. And it's really been the opposite that any any kind of flaws or anything like that I've come across really just kind of endear me to the movie a little bit more, I guess. <laughs> um that I you know, it's uh, it's just like knowing a little bit more about it and seeing those things makes it feel like I don't know. It's like it's a little bit even more special. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think the nice thing about this is uh, this really does highlight how good it, 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 it gives you new ways to appreciate something. You know, mm-hmm. um, I had never thought about how the pivot in last or in two weeks ago's or two episodes ago that we talked about. Right. Mm-hmm. The little silent moment after child speaks. I had never thought about it that way before. To me, when you're watching a movie, you're often watching it as a whole. But I'm kind of a writing structure nerd, and this exercise was really interesting in that it broke down in really clear ways 
the mechanics of how the movie worked. And the movie works like gangbusters. I mean, it's a classic for a reason. It's, it's one of the best horror movies of all time. Uh, it was one of the best movies of all time. Fuck it. I don't, you know, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I think that there really is something to, as you say, you know, I mean, if it's, if it's a great movie, then looking at it this closely isn't going to force you to come up with fan theories or force you to, uh, you know, teach you to hate the movie because you notice all these things. It's going to teach you to appreciate it all the more and just how intricately, you know, how, how perfect uh, the machine is that drives all of this. Yeah, most definitely. It's, it's certainly given me a, a much deeper appreciation for a lot of the craft in the movie because, you know, it, it's a movie that when I just watch, you know, for entertainment, for fun, it's I, I, I can't help but get sucked into it and not really pay that close analytical attention to um, to what's going on. But, yeah, it's, it's a masterfully crafted movie from from every every angle, from the, the cinematography to the sound design, to the editing, to the, the script. To, to, you know, those kind of changes that Carpenter made with the script that we talked about earlier. You know, there's there's just so much to appreciate. And it's it's I'm, I'm glad that that was the case and that this this the movie didn't totally fall apart. <laughs> yeah. So cool. Well, I think that'll probably wrap us up for uh, for 59. Do you have anything anything else to uh, add? No. So, yeah, I think that'll wrap up uh, minute 59 of the thing. But uh, one thing you can do always is to check out moviesbyminutes.com for a whole collection of other podcasts with insane people who decided to do this for other movies. So, you know, if The Thing is not your favorite movie and for some reason you've listened to 59 minutes or 59 episodes of this uh, this podcast already and, you know, are trying to figure out why, there are, uh, there are dozens and dozens of other shows uh, that do the same thing for all kinds of other movies from, you know, we mentioned Jurassic Park earlier, that, that's got a podcast, uh, some movies in the Terminator franchise, Star Trek, um, and obviously the Star Wars Minute, those are the guys who kind of started this format. They've done, you know, five seasons of this uh, and are getting ready to start, start their next season for um, Revenge of the Sith, God help them. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, so definitely check that out. It's a, you know, that's that's obviously what gave me the inspiration to to start on this one. So if you enjoy this, definitely uh, support some of those other shows as well. But while you're uh, taking a look at those, don't forget to come back tomorrow for another episode of the Thing Minutes. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on the Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out. Harper signing out.